You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, guys? This is the Talking the Star podcast. I'm your host, Connor Livesy, joined by my co-host tonight, Cole Patterson. Dalton Miller not with us, so we brought in a very special guest in Robert Mays of The Athletic. He does The Athletic Football Show. I'm sure you've listened to it, but if you have not, we are so pumped to have him on. Robert, Cole, how you guys doing tonight? Doing great. I appreciate you having me. Cole, you hanging in there? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I know you're still in depression stage like me, Robert. You know, not being a Cowboys fan is a is a probably just an unbiased watcher at this point. But um, man, we were really excited to bring you in because we're big big fans of all the work you do, the the podcasting you do, and you know, you guys put out shows pretty much every day um, on all NFL. You know, get into scheme, get into game plans, get into a bunch of stuff that you don't hear a lot in the NFL media. So it's always a joy to hear educated football takes from you nate tice mitch schwartz you guys have a lot of cool guests as well so really excited to have you on and kind of get your take on this cowboys football team you know this year in the playoffs and maybe heading into 2022 um so i wanted to start with uh just you know obviously the cowboys had a depressing loss to the 49ers uh, in the first round of the wild card we as cowboy fans thought that was probably the most talented team that we've seen in 15 20 years from this team from an offensive defensive special teams perspective um and they fell short kind of like they, the cowboys doing their old cowboys bit so wh- wh- what did you think and wh- was it as d- disappointing to you as it is to cowboys fans yes <laughs> I, you watched that team and, and you saw what they were capable of at points this year we can get into some of the specifics of it but you know my feeling coming away from that is well if not now then when and you know and and that is just such a disappointing way to feel as a, as a football fan i mean you know this, you watch every single year and it's hard to be good. It's really, really hard. It's hard to catch lightning in a bottle. It's hard to feel like you've captured something. And especially with the defense, that's how it felt, right? right? I mean, you just, at times this year, they just felt like this buzzsaw where it's like, oh my God, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, right? I mean, they, they were like a holy shit type of unit yep. so many times this year. And when you finish number one in defensive DVOA and feel it and feel that good and you have all that offensive talent, those are the types of years where you're supposed to get a lot closer than this. And so when you're kind of sitting there looking at the roster, the makeup, the breaks they got this year in some ways, the breaks they're not likely to get again, some of the age of these guys, I mean, all of that. Yeah. it's really hard to not look at it and just kind of sink your shoulders a little bit and think, man, I, I don't know what, where they go from here or what it looks like a year from now. That's that was the first outside of the question I asked. That was going to be my first question to you. And you kind of already answered it. It's like, if you don't do it this year, when, you know, the offense has been good for the Cowboys the last handful of years for most of the season, they've obviously fell off. We're going to get into that, you know, some too, but this is the first year in, since I can remember being a Cowboys fan and someone who covered the teams where you're like, the defense is just as good, if not better than the offense. So like you said, it was going to be, if not now, like you said, then when, because it's, it's, you know, we're a probably a pessimistic group of, of Cowboys section where it's like, we tend to, we've gotten our heart broken so many times. We tend to not get too excited about things, but we actually kind of got excited about this team this year. And I know listening to y'all show a lot, it's kind of, you guys have kind of like a little bit going where you're like, why didn't we stop each other from getting excited about this team? And that's kind of how <laughs> what we're saying now after that first round loss. <laughs> it's easy to get excited about it because when you're watching them play, I think Dak is, you could boil it down to him in a lot of different ways. 
it's easy to get excited about him. I mean, there's a reason that Nate Tice, who I do the show with, is obsessed with Dak. It's because of the process, right? It's the process he goes through. He's such a smart quarterback. The decision-making is always really good. The work he does with protections and all of that. I mean, you watch that player and you kind of boil that down. It's like, this is a really, just the bones of the offense is really good. It's what you want. And then they just always want you leaving, always leave you wanting more. And, and I just think that there are a lot of reasons for that. And, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't pretend to be some sort of scheme expert, but when I watch them, it just feels like it kind of dries up and it feels like they rely on that aspect of his play so much where, all right, you know, you can go one to two to three in the ways that you're supposed to. So we're going to ask you to do it all the time. Right. And then you watch the two games that really stick out to me are the Rams game and the Niners game. And you just the feeling of watching that offense, those offenses compared to watching the Cowboys offense and just how many schemed counter punches you see built into that offense. I mean, just think about the plays out. Yeah. And the layups created based on tendencies you had formed throughout the season, just layering different counter punches onto the offense that you have creating layups. I mean, there's just so many of them. And it just doesn't feel like the Cowboys have those layups and it doesn't feel like they have those kind of schemed explosive shots in the offense. It just, there's just something missing. There's just juice missing from what they're doing. And when you look at the skill position talent, that's disappointing. We can get into a real kind of realistic conversation about the offensive line and how good it really is if we want to. But when you look at the skill position talent, the ways that they're paid, the ways the resources have been invested, you want more than this, even without Gallup in the lineup. Yeah, definitely agree. Cole, you got anything you want to add? No, I mean, I agree with Robert just from the fact that they rely on Dak a lot and they had a lot of things go their way this season as far as defense goes. Um, And, I know me and you, Connor, uh, other co-host, Dalton Miller, we talked before the year that if the defense was just, you know, above average, even just average, to go along with all the offensive talent, to Robert's point that they have, um, to what they have shown they're capable of doing when they're clicking, we thought the if the defense was average, we thought the, you know, the, the floor was, you know, divisional round, you know, conference championship, and things go your way, you're playing for a Super Bowl, and the defense wasn't just average. It was, you know, one of the best defenses in, you know, franchise history at, you know, creating turnovers. You have, you know, Phenom and Michael Parsons. You had Trayvon Diggs had double-digit interceptions, which doesn't, doesn't you know, happen too often. Um, they had some breaks with health as well. And we thought if the defense could just hold up its end of the bargain, that they had enough offensive talent, they had enough weapons to go far. And to see how – really since the Patriots game after that game and see how, you know, back half of the season, they've just been disappointment after disappointment. I think a lot of Cowboys fans were kind of talking to themselves into thinking that maybe they were saving some things because they knew they were winning the division. Maybe they would use Tony Pollard more uh, when the games mattered. And just none of that happened. And just to see how the season ended in that kind of way just leaves a really bitter taste in your mouth. Robert, I don't know if you heard that talk, you know, not probably being as congested in the Dallas media, but there I, was... I will sit there just pumping the fan into my veins 24 right, hours right. Uh, so, a little bit different than you guys down there. Right, so there was literally no shit, probably 25 to 30% of the fan base, media members who were like, guys, it's okay, Kellen is holding back the offense for the playoffs, like that they were not using shift in motion because they're going to bring it out of the playoffs. They're not running play action because they're going to bring it out of the playoffs. They're not playing Tony Pollard because they're going to bring it out of the playoffs. Yeah. And like, Pollard. there was like, so, like, I know, I know you're familiar like Jeff Cavanaugh who does work on the fan. Like there are some pretty heated arguments for, he was just like, are you guys stupid? Like this is fo- <laughs> like, you have 17 <laughs> games that you play in. You're not, you're not holding shit back to be the four seed and play a really good 49ers team after not working on any of this stuff in game format. So it was kind of funny way to wrap up the regular season. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's the least shocking thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life as somebody who it's funny because, you know, I've gotten to over the years, you know, I'm like skin and weight a bit and like KT Kevin Turner is somebody right. that you know, like he does a pod with us and, you know, Brian Curtis, who's a huge Cowboys fan and is, 
painfully aware of the Dallas media markets and what they sound like at all times as a friend of mine. So for somebody who's not a Cowboys fan and has never lived in the Dallas Fort Worth area, I, I know a lot about the tenor of the conversations that happen right. with Dallas sports media. So I want to kind of put a bow on this 49ers matchup just because I think everybody listening probably is like, all right, I just want to move on. Start, start talking <laughs> draft, start getting ready for next season. But I mean, I do want to talk about it because Again, we talked about how disappointing it was to lose in round one. It ended up being a lot closer game than it really should have been because realistically that should have been, you know, a 14-point victory for the 49ers. And in my opinion, you know, if Jimmy G doesn't Jimmy G there in the, at the end. Um, but from an offensive perspective, I mean, it's, it's – we want to point fingers at Kellen Moore. We want to point fingers at Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, the offensive line. And I think that's probably the glaring finger for me is at the offensive line because I just can't ask – the passing game to do a whole lot more. I mean, I can't, I can, and I can't because you're, you're getting rushed by four guys and you're dropping seven to six guys in coverage against four receivers most of the time. And, and when, you know, Nick Bosa for the first half is, you know, playing really well, Eric Armstead, you're getting some Arden key mixed in. Like you're getting guys that shouldn't have caused pressure to cause pressure against all pro offensive linemen kind of leaves, you know, people want to place blame on Dak Prescott passing game. But for me, it's just like, you couldn't run the football at all and you couldn't block four pass rushers. So it's tough for that passing game to really get going. What's your argument there for that? And like, how do you think, and obviously my thing is, is if you could just run the ball effectively, you can get them to get out of those looks and start bringing guys down and have to respect that run more. But from your perspective, what's the thing that you think they should have done different or could have done different to been more successful on offense in that game? Well, I was worried coming into the game because I thought that the Niners on both sides of the ball were a really bad matchup for the Cowboys. And right. I thought that on the Niners defense, especially what we talked about on our show was the Cowboys running game is kind of garbage for the second half of this season. They were not good. And the Niners run defense is fantastic. And I think that it's easy to kind of point fingers and be disappointed at the way the offensive line played, but that Niners front is nothing to sneeze at, even without right. Bosa. I mean, they're just the energy they play with. I mean, there was a play, can't remember when it happened in the game, but second play of the game, it happened right in front of me, and I was like, "This is going to be a long game." <laughs> it was a run. It was a run, and I can't, I can't remember exactly. And I think Bob Sturm. Uh, it was a second. A it was it. a second and ten run. The second play of the game, they ran on second and ten on the the twenty five, and it went negative three yards. It was that that play was one of them, but there was one play okay. where they blocked back on Armstead. And it was supposed to be like a combo with Biotish and, and Zach Martin. And they were kind of climbing the linebacker and the Niners do a great job of stunting their front. Right. And it's just, it's so hard to understand account for where guys are going to be when and Armstead got yeah, supposed to block down on him and he just <laughs> threw him out of the way. And it, it was just the violence that those guys right. play with up front. It, you got to bring it. Like you have to bring it every yep. single down. Cause they certainly are. And that's kind of why I was concerned, because if you can't run it and then you're worried about the pass rush, then you start leaning into underneath throws, quick game, everything else, because you're afraid you can't block. And that's how they want you to play. I mean, they just swallow everything with the way they play. And those zones are just they disappear like the voids disappear so fast because they play so fast defensively. And it's exactly what happened. Right. I mean, that's it's that worst case scenario is what ultimately played out. So part of me wants to say the offensive line probably I mean, it's not as good as we right. outsiders may think. Right. I mean, there are aspects to it that need to improve and maybe are, are a little bit misconstrued or, or misrepresented. But I also think it's probably not as bad as it looked on Sunday because that group can make you look really bad That group. And even with Bosa not playing. They just have a ton of juice. They're extremely well coached. They're the type of group that when the game starts slipping away from you, they can accelerate that feeling. And that's kind of how it felt on Sunday. I think it sucks for Cowboys fans before I get cold to start talking some more. Is It's just like you lose Nick Bosa, you know, before halftime, a good chunk of it. And you're like, okay, like obviously you're not cheering for an injury, but you're like, that's their dude. And he's not. And then it's just like, I mean, when Charles Amina, who's whipping you and, you know, obviously Eric Armstead's a stud. It's just, it was every DJ player, Jones, Kevin DJ Gibbons. Jo yeah, I mean, it was yeah. like every guy they had was just kicking their ass. And, you know, I, you, you somewhat rolled your eyes at that physicality versus finesse 
narrative that was kind of rolling going into that game. Cause you're like, well, we've seen the Cowboys be physical running the football this year. We've seen, you know, we've seen them be physical after the catch, but they literally, like you said, the physicality versus finesse, I think is the, the, what the narrative was going into that game and coming out, you can probably say the same exact thing. Cause that defensive line just beat the shit out of the offensive line. And while I think the defensive line for the Cowboys had their moments, I mean, they, they did very good job keeping Jimmy G protected and he did get out of a few hurries and pressures and made some plays. And obviously they did pressure him on the interception there a little bit. So, you know, it's just, I think they, they, the whole narrative of them being more physical than the Cowboys came to light. And that's why they, they got punched in the mouth and couldn't get it straight and come back and win that game before we get it, before we get into the whole last, uh, <laughs> the, the 14 second thing, I guess, Cole, you got one, anything you want to ask or add to that? Yeah. I mean, just kind of to add to y'all's points, I think that first, the opening drive for the Cowboys and then where, you know, Dak had no time to throw in that first play. They, don't they go backwards first two plays and then obviously what was that third and 14 where such a Wilson throws it over Tony Pollard's head on that, um, on that you know lateral play that they try to do um, I think those three plays and then the play where the second half where Zeke had to run like 30 yards to get get it like third and one by an inch I think those like four plays really just summed up the entire game for the Cowboys um, they couldn't do anything they had no push on the line of scrimmage especially when they were in offense they got whipped in every way and kind of like what you said on that second 10 run uh, when it went backwards it kind of made you I think every Cowboys fan was like all right it's gonna be a really long day you know it's, <laughs> they could never recover they could never get into a flow they had that one drive um, in the first half um, where they kind of went down the field and it looked kind of easy for them and you're thinking to yourself okay I think they're in a rhythm and just you know, it could be a lot worse because they made, you know, San Francisco set up those field goals instead of touchdowns, thinking, all right, if they can get a stop there and score for halftime, get the ball back in the second half, start the second half, and we'll see what happens from there. But after that first touchdown, it's like they kept shooting themselves in the foot with penalties. Um, Dak had no time in the pocket, and when he did, things weren't – receivers weren't open. He wasn't hitting receivers. There was no run game. It was just – it was awful. I think it, it was like worst-case scenario from – start yeah. to almost finish for that offense um it just I never like you said the score kind of makes it look close but just from my perspective I never really thought the Cowboys had much of a chance to come out of that game with a win um it, it's shocking that they had a chance to maybe score on I'm sure we'll get in the last 14 seconds but <laughs> just everything went wrong for Dallas and it just goes back to what I was saying earlier we always thought if the defense could just hold its you know, into the bargain that the offense would, you know, do what we know it's capable of doing, what they showed they're capable of doing for that first half of the year where, you know, they put up 36 points on Bill Belichick's defense. They were beating everybody on their schedule. They went toe-to-toe with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, you know, Dak Prescott's first game back from injury. Um, it's, we never really saw that offense back half of the season, and it's just really disappointing. Um, I feel like that game, like I said, this those four plays I pointed out really just summed up just not only just a playoff game, just kind of the second half of the season. Um, it was kind of a fitting end to what has been a you know disappointing season. Off, off yeah, season. I want to get into the coaching, the whole coaching landscape with with, with Robert. Um, I think for me, the most disappointing thing was that drive before the last drive where they got the ball with two minutes and 30 some seconds left. I think that that you know they get the big completion to Dalton Schultz, and then after that, it was like they run the hurry up play before the two minute warning, which I'm not sure why that was a thing. You should just run the two minute warning right there at midfield, come out a two minute with a you know good game plan, what you're what you're yeah, trying to do. But out. yeah, they they rush they rush that that play before the two minute warning warning and ends up you know pressure sack. I think he might have lost a yard on it, and then you have the four or five six yard completion to Ceedee Lamb that hits him right in the chest drops that almost gets picked off and then you have a busted play that almost turns into a big play in a Tyron Smith holding call that puts them in third and or fourth and 11 because they declined it so just that kind of capsulated everything for me is like there's the Cowboys season they do some good things they shoot themselves in the foot they have penalties they drop a football and that's why they're not going to advance so but um all right let's get into the coaching stuff because we talked about that play before the two minute warning. I don't think it's really getting being talked about enough. Robert, in that situation, when you're 
you got the ball past midfield, you got two minutes, you got three timeouts, all, you know, you need a touchdown to win the game. Just kind of roll through that last two minutes after watching the tape and everything and breaking it down and kind of where you think things went wrong. I mean, I know we broke down those three or four plays that resulted in the fourth 11 heave, but from that point on, it just looked like we've seen Dak Prescott be such a cerebral quarterback in the final drive, you know, go down and win games a lot. He did it against New England. He did it, you know, multiple times this year. He's had a career of doing it, but that just seemed like an absolute catastrophe for that offense. And it was really disappointing to see that, you know, one play that 38 yard completion to Dalton Schultz really amount to nothing. Um, so I really want to just get your thoughts on all of the last two minutes of that football game from the Cowboys offense. <laughs> I mean, at a certain point you're fighting a really uphill battle, right? I mean, it was always going to be that when right. you put yourself in that position and it kind of felt like that at the end. And yeah, it, I said this on I think I said it on Sunday show after we were recapping the game and I was talking about just Kyle Shanahan and Mike McCarthy and Kyle Shanahan did not cover himself in glory with some of his situational decision-making in that game. And that happens, right? It is as a, as an ardent supporter of the work that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay do, it can be frustrating when you see some of the game management decisions that they choose to make, whether it's, unacceptable punts, you know, things of that nature. But at a, when you look at it in totality over the course of an entire game, the amount of edges that having Sean McVay and yeah. Kyle Shanahan as your play callers creates, they're innumerable, right? They're, right. they're constant. You're always in an advantage for the most part, especially with Shanahan. I mean, he's just in his own universe and has been for a while. Mike McCarthy has those same game management missteps without any of the good stuff. So that's the yeah. issue is that it, it's kind of one of those moments where you do the office space thing. It's like, Mike, what would you say you do here? <laughs> and, and when you have a team that's that talented and when you have a guy who is an offensive minded head coach, but isn't your play caller, I'm just confused about what his contributions are supposed to be. Yeah, you know, like kind of summed it up pretty as far as, you know, clock management, as far as, you know, managing the game. And she never really felt like they were in a kind of flow and he didn't really hold up his end of the deal in that aspect. But what do you think the Cowboys could have done, you know, differently to maybe gotten into a better rhythm at, right out of the gate? Because it seemed like, you know, San Francisco had the Cowboys number uh, right really from the, you know, get-go. You know, they went down the field uh, with ease. Um what do you think they could have done differently to maybe be playing this weekend? I mean, it's a great question. I think that the Niners had such a good handle on how they wanted to attack them. And you think about some of the plays that even the Niners left on the field. That big completion to Ayuk down the right yeah. sideline, that should have been a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, he was wide open. And Jimmy G underthrows that thing. And then Jimmy misses to kind of blaze out on the other side on third and 11 later in the game. And I mean, the Cowboys, and, and this is the issue when you have a defense stylistically, you play the way the Cowboys do. It's a lot of man and it's a lot of five man pressures. And it's really aggressive. And when you have that kind of splash play creating defense, the problem is it's a gash or be gash kind of deal. And you're living in a world that can be a little bit tenuous and a little bit dangerous. And if you know, right. a team is going to play that style and, that much man coverage and just have that sort of approach, you can start taking advantage of it. And that's the issue is that when you, when Kyle Shanahan knows what you're going to do, he's very, very good at manipulating and bending those rules. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I mean, the Cowboys defense overall, I thought played a fine game, especially in the yeah. second half. It helps that, you know, Jimmy's just leaving throws on the field and he's <laughs> giving you one because that's, I mean, that stuff is going to happen. Right. But I think that overall, that's why I was a little bit concerned even heading into the game, just because, their attitude approach overall method on defense was not necessarily a good matchup against this Niners team who is really going to test all of your discipline, your rules, you know, everything. And I think that's exactly what you saw, especially in the first half. And when you get into that big of a hole and your offense isn't playing very well, it's hard to take advantage. It's hard to claw your way back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, no, I mean, 100% agree. I mean, the the... The like, I, I mean, I, I put out a tweet, you know, after the game, it's like, well, if you tell me if 49ers only score 23 points before the game, I'm probably going to pick the Cowboys to win that game. Cause I think they're going to, you know, at least score 24. And obviously that didn't ha- happen. Um, but like you said, I mean, they, they got punched in the mouth early, but that defense has done that a few times this year where they give up points on those opening drives or give up points a little bit in that fourth quarter. But we've shown from Dan Quinn and that defense that they're able to adjust and start to kind of, pick up the pace. Um, and we haven't seen that from the offense. And when we have seen it, it's always been, you know, 10 minutes too late. We saw it in Oak, you know, against the Raiders where they, you know, fiddle around for three quarters and then they're like, Oh shit, we're going to lose to the Raiders on Thanksgiving. And then they get it together going overtime. But I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, both of these coordinators getting a ton of head coaching interviews. I think both of them had multiple today. What is your thoughts? You know, cause Cowboys fans are thrilled to death with Dan Quinn. They're very sour on Kellen Moore right now. What are your thoughts on both of those guys? Kind of sounds like Dan Quinn's might already have a job in Denver from what people are whispering kind of around Dallas and everything. But what are your thoughts on those guys and their possibilities of leaving and and getting a head coaching job elsewhere? I've always, you know, Dan Quinn is somebody that people adore. And I think that if you're looking at the first quality of being an NFL head coach as culture setting and about just being somebody who establishes the tone in the building, what it's like in the workplace every single day. He's that kind of guy, you know, I can understand wanting somebody who has been to a super bowl and has that sort of energy for lack of a better word. Right. I mean, he is somebody that it's hard to talk to Dan Quinn and not coming away, having warm feelings about Dan Quinn and the fact that he's going to have what five or six head coaching interviews I got a feeling if he wants one of those jobs, he's probably going to get one. So that, I feel like if I were a Cowboys fan, that's how I'd go into the next couple of weeks being, you know, thanks, Dan. I appreciate your work here. Right. Best luck in wherever you're going to go from here. And that's kind of the problem, right? Is that it's almost the opposite. You know, we always worry about what's going to happen if you lose your offensive coordinator after a year, because having that guy is so important to sustaining success with Dallas. It's like, all right, well, if Dan Quinn leaves, what does the defense end up looking like? They could be fine, but it really was a kind of one year thing where you had him, you had just this unit that jumped all over people. Randy Gregory is a free agent, you know, guys like J Ron curse who just filled such a specific, but important role within that defense. He's a free agent. It's never going to be as good as it was this year oh, i mean, it's, I, don't mean to drag that's you the issue. I don't mean to drag you into it but it almost feels like that chicago defense from a couple of years ago yeah hey, exactly right i mean it's like that's the problem they had all the sacks and then next year it was like oh they're bottom half of the league again yep that kind of is what and, it feels like i mean defense is like that and it's always the scary part about having a defense like that is that it's hard to believe that you're going to be just as good the next year or even close to as good the next year so i would be ready for him to get one of those jobs again if he wants one with Kellen Moore, I mean, I've had one conversation with Kellen Moore in my life. I did not come away from that conversation thinking that Kellen Moore was a bundle of charisma, you know, and I, I don't think that's how he comes off. And you don't need to be that right. to be a really good coach. You know, I don't you don't need to win a 15 minute conversation with an asshole like me. But <laughs> I, I think that if you look at just the on field success that he's had and what that offense has looked like, I also don't think that he's putting his guys necessarily in he's not going to give you a huge schematic advantage based on what we saw over the second half of this year, especially, you know, I mean, it was coming into this year. It's been a really interesting kind of process 
for me and my relationship with the Dallas Cowboys offense and who's coordinating the Dallas Cowboys offense, because in 2017, 2018, I was, I was so fed up. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I just, I, I cannot watch this group of players be playing this offense anymore. It's driving me insane. And eventually they moved to Kellen Moore and to finish second in offensive DVOA in 2019. And then last year for the first like four weeks of the season, obviously we have these just insane volume statistics from Dak. You go back and you watch that team and you look at some of the advanced numbers and they're fine, but then you go back and watch it. And I remember vividly this off season, going back and watching like the Seattle game being like, this isn't that interesting to me. Right. Like it's just, a, it really is more, it resembles the older versions of those Garrett offenses a lot more than I want them to, you know, it's static. It's stop routes. It's a lot of just two by twos and, you know, not a lot of motion, not a lot of play action, which you can be successful with that, but the degree of difficulty is harder. It just is. We're talking about layups. I mean, there just weren't that many of them. And the word I keep coming back to is static. It felt static. And then coming into this off season, all we heard was, well, you know, they, they felt like they couldn't put in the whole offense last year because of the pandemic and shortened off season and new staff. And, you know, this year it's all opened up. And I remember seeing that clip from training camp of them having Pollard and Zeke on the field at the same time and running that jet all go halfback scene play that the cat Packers love, you know, the teams around the league have used it a bunch. It's beautiful. Right. And you think about, having those, those two back, that two back personnel and the players on that team. And it just, when you watch it, it's like, Oh man, I want to see this. And you heard about, well, Kellen watched a ton of Titans tape and they're going to have more of that version of play action. They're going to incorporate some of that stuff into the offense. And then at a certain point you get to the end of the season. It's like, well, this just feels like the The 20, it's like a version of like the 2020 offense that I was watching. It just, they kind of retract back into what makes them comfortable. And that's kind of how it feels to me. And it's, it's just disappointing. It's just, yeah. And again, you kind of go through these different stages of like rationalization with, well, is it Garrett? And when, when Kellen gets the reins, is it going to be better? And then it was, then it was the first year. And well, now it's the second year and the good stuff is because of Kellen Moore and the bad stuff is because of Mike McCarthy. And at a certain point, it's just not good. At a certain right. point, it just can't keep continuing this way when the players are as good as they are. And it's strange for me to have reached this point considering how good they looked at points early in the season, but the, I will always come back to it. Like It just feels static and it feels stale, and I don't know what the correct response to that is. Yeah, I mean, again, like listening to your show, I love the use of the word static that you guys always bring up when talking about the offense because that's kind of, you know, a word that I've never thought of to use, but it is. I mean, that's kind of the best way to describe it. And it's like the pick that they threw in the San Francisco game. It's like it's second and 29, and, you know, they're throwing to a guy, you know, running a curl. And he's like, okay, I'll just sit here, bump into you, and if the ball's six inches off target, I'll pick it off or it's going to be incomplete. Like there's no – there's just nothing, like you said, interesting that happens with that offense right now. And again, they do some, they do the Tony Pollard slant, the the Cedric Wilson slant, and pitch it back to the Tony Pollard play, the play the Jets had success with, and they incorporate some of those unique plays that other teams have shown throughout the season. And they try them, and they work sometimes. Half the time they don't. But as far as just like you say, like your your Kyle Shanahan offense, where they're running the the pitch, you know, the pitch play, you know, they show the pitch, but it's just a, you know, pretty much a power running play that the the way they run those runs outside zones and the shifts, the motions, like all that's just lacking. And there's just, like you said, like we said earlier, there's just no layups in that offense. There's no, there's no easy one read throws for the quarterback when things aren't going well. And I think that's my biggest issue with Kellen. And I mean, again, you know, obviously he's going to get interviews. There's a bunch of head coach vacancies. He has the quote unquote, number one offense in the league. So I understand the interview process, but I just kind of, like you said, I just don't think he's a guy who's going to get a job based on an interview process, talk about bringing in a staff and all that. So I'm just interested to see if it's a situation where if he doesn't get a job, do they move on from Kellen Moore or is he going to get hit, you know, a fourth shot? And that, that was my next question for you. I feel like 
it'd be shocking if you had a guy who was getting head coach interviews and got <laughs> fired from the job that he was currently doing. I, I feel like he'll probably be back. And, you know, here's the thing about Jerry, man. <laughs> Jerry is very patient. You know, we, we kind of look at him as like this eccentric millionaire who makes these wild decisions, but he's no. willing to stick with these guys, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there is a long, long timeline for some of these guys. And, you know, it's funny. You talk about that third and 16 play, and I think that it's so tempting, and I'm like this, right? You see a play, and it's like, oh, that's cool. And we think that's creativity. That's not creativity. No. Anybody can throw one weird get back on track third and 16 play into the mix. That's not innovation. Innovation is saying this is what we do. What is a way that we can play with the defense's expectations of what we do and build on that to make the game easier on our players? That's what innovation and creativity is in a football context. And it's easy to lose sight of that, but that's why you see these teams at times run into walls in the back half of the season because they fail to get to that level and they fail to keep adding on to what they're doing. And that's just kind of how it feels with what that Cowboys offense looked like down the stretch. So it's that, that that dichotomy of like what is really creative and what sort of creativity lift you in the league, I think is just something that I always have to remind myself of. Yeah, no doubt. What changes do you think the Cowboys need to do, assuming that Kellen Moore is back next season? Is it simply just um, using more motion and things like that? I mean, we have discussed on our podcast, like we expected, you know, CeeDee Lamb to take that big next step, maybe a receiver kind of on that Justin Jefferson, you know, tier. And he really didn't take that next step. We haven't seen a Mari Cooper take over a game like, you know, we kind of expected. We were all saying that we – I'm expecting Amari Cooper to have one of his, you know, famous Amari Cooper games. He had a touchdown, but it's like we haven't seen him, you know, go off like he's shown he's capable of doing. We have, we don't, I mean, I know McCarthy and Kellen Moore have kind of want Dak to spread the ball around, things like that, uh, instead of feeding one receiver. But I guess what, what, what do they need to improve on to move forward next season, not be so static? Is it just, is it feeding CeeDee Lamb? Is it being more creative? pre-snap uh, what, what do you think would take this offense to the next step because they're number one in, you know volume stats and things like that but as we saw especially down the stretch a lot of defenses kind of figured it out I think I would like to see them just scheme more aggressiveness into what they do you know I feel like play action is one way to do that you know this is a team where you don't have a quarterback who has the biggest arm in the world right and who is necessarily the most aggressive quarterback. I made this comparison in the show we did today and I'm still workshopping it. (laughs) I have to go back and like think about how much I really believe it. But the feel I got watching Dak at times this year where I think the throw to Zeke in the flat and the the early throw where he goes one, two, three, four and hits to Zeke in the flat early in the game against the Niners is a good example of this. It reminds me in some ways of what Derek Carr looked like at times in his career where he is so in tune with exactly where he's supposed to be going with the ball and where his check down is that he almost goes there too fast. And you lose a certain level of aggressiveness built into the offense that starts to defang who you are as a passing game. And so if you're going to have a quarterback who doesn't necessarily have that built in down the field aggression, I feel like you need to put that in him and you can do that, right? You can do that by design. We've seen quarterbacks who maybe aren't necessarily and the perfect example is Matthew Stafford, right? Matthew Stafford is a bigger arm than Dak, but look at Matthew Stafford's like air yards per target numbers for over the course of like a five-year period, like 2014 through 2018. They're low. Like they are very low. And then you put him in an offense, Ryan Tannehill's the exact same way, by the way. You put him in an offense that is more tailored to attacking down the field, has more play action shots built into it, has a certain level of verticality that he didn't before, and that completely changes. And that helps. And I think that is just how can we find a level of aggressiveness and an attacking mentality with this offense that we did not have before? And you can do that with vertical route concepts. You can do that with more play action. And there are ways to do that. I just want them to adopt a mindset that, 
is that of a team that has an advantage on you, right? Like when you watch a team like the Bucks, when they're at their best, they're playing downhill at you. There is nothing horizontal. There's nothing hesitant. There's nothing we're going to take what's there, even though they do, right? I mean, like Brady right. will do that. But what they want to be at their core is they want to burn you down all the time. And I just feel like the Cowboys offense doesn't feel that way. I mean, the, the Bucks have managed to do a lot of it without play action just by virtue of the structure of their offense. But I think that at times some you have to give your quarterback reasons to be aggressive. And it just doesn't feel like this version of the Cowboys offense gives Dak reasons to be aggressive. I love kind of building on that. Um, I know you watch a lot of tape and everything. And Connor mentioned, you know, in that Raiders game, it's kind of like they flipped the switch late. Um, we've seen them we've seen them do that a lot this season. Even in the Kansas City game, it's like their offense kind of started to get going when it was too little too late in the Cardinals game. Um, they came back, nearly won that game. Uh, 49ers came, obviously. They cut it to a touchdown, all of that. Is it – watching tape, is it simply Dak being more aggressive in those moments? Is the play calling changing? Is receivers just getting open? What are you seeing that's not there in the first half? It's, you know, all – all of a sudden they're in the fourth quarter when, you know, the game's on the line. I wouldn't pretend to know. I, I, that's something I'd have to watch a little bit more. I, I feel like there's nothing, one, no one or two things I could pinpoint yeah. with that. It's a good question. It's a good question, and it's something that I, I would like to tap into, but I, I wouldn't – that's not something that I've noticed enough to have a solid answer right. for you. I almost think it's a lot of what you were kind of mentioning where it's like, okay, our game plan is to pick you apart, you know, five, six yards at a time, be conservative, let's not turn it over. But when you get in those situations where you're down 10 with six minutes to go, it's like, oh, shit, we don't have time to do this anymore. Like, we have to be aggressive. And that's – I feel like that's when they're at their best is when they are. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, it's just – it's just uh, I think it's uh, – I love Schwartz, uh, his thing today where he's like, Kellen Ward wasn't a big-arm quarterback at Boise. Like, maybe he's just, like, living, you know, living through Dak and being like, you know – let's take care of the football here and go six, seven yards at a time. And, and we don't have the arm strength to push it down the field. So we're not going to do it. So I wonder if that, I mean, that did, when he said that, I was like, I mean, coordinators do turn into what they know and what they did as players and other coaches, you know, coaches in colleges and stuff like that. So I wonder if that has something to do with it as well. Cause when he said that today, it caught my, caught my attention. <laughs> something that has not come up enough. And I, um, this is my fault. I have a host of podcast every single day. I can talk about whenever I want to the, <laughs> you look at what teams were doing against the Cowboys in the first half of the year. And Dak was one of the most blitz quarterbacks in football. You yeah. know I mean? It was right up there with Mac fields, Mac fields, <laughs> a long week guys. It was right up there with Mac Jones, with Justin Fields. I mean, teams are bringing so much heat at him and they were just tearing it apart. You right. know, I think he threw something like 20 touchdowns against the blitz this year. Right. And it was several more than any other quarterback in the league. And it's so funny because you look, think about, Think back to the game. Think back to the game we just watched, okay? What is the biggest pass play they had in that game? The blitz play where Amari Cooper caught the touchdown. <laughs> that was it. So yeah. I think the CD Lamb play that was called back was a blitz, too, where he scrambled out of pressure and threw it to him for 30-some yards, but it was a hold. But <laughs> And when, you, when teams come after you like that, that's a reason to be aggressive because right. you have opportunities down the field. It's often man coverage. And that's where you can really get teams. And they were aggressive in those moments and they had a lot of success in those moments. And it's funny, you know, you watch that Dallas game or excuse me, the Denver game and you think, is it a blueprint? And when Vic Fangio says afterwards, teams are playing them the wrong way. Teams stop blitzing. Yeah. You know, it, it totally flipped where teams did not want to send those extra bodies at him. And they played a lot more soft zone coverage and they kind of tempted him and tempted that offense to say, well, we'll just take what's there underneath. Right. And they couldn't find a way to tap into explosive plays after teams started playing them that way. And maybe with an offseason, that happens. But right. I think that, to me, is the number one thing. It's how can you find a level of aggressiveness when defenses aren't being aggressive toward you? And it's like it's like the Kansas City thing early in the season. You know, we had that conversation with Mahomes a lot too. Where it's just like we're just going to play cover two and you know force you to dink in it down the field or run it. And obviously, they still didn't run it. And that's when Kansas City went through their 
their issues because they couldn't figure it out either for a while, but they got it together. But I think with this offensive line, even though it's not what it used to be and with the amount of money they have wrapped up in the running backs, you would think, you would hope, and let me say hope, not think, that they can at least get the running game going enough to have defenses at least respect it a little bit more. And maybe that – I think that's my biggest thing is maybe getting the offense back on track is – getting the ball to where you're averaging more than three yards per carry on the ground. And maybe you can bring a safety down and get out of those cover two static looks and have, you know, guys that have some, some space behind the defense. But other than that, I mean, Cole, do you got anything else you want to add before we let him get out of here? I know we kept him a little bit longer than we're, we're, we're hoping to. <laughs> yeah, I do this all day. You guys are good. Uh, <laughs> I'm just getting me going on something like this is you no worries whatsoever. Yeah, I think you made – I mean, just going back to the Broncos game, just I think a lot of us at least follow the Cowboys. Um, part of it was their office was a strong start, but a lot of us, you know, scoffed at the Broncos, you know, being the blueprint of defending the Cowboys. But it kind of was, you know. It kind of reminds me a little bit. I don't know how much you study the college game at all. I know you're really involved in the NFL, but it kind of reminds me of how teams would defend Mike Leach's offenses in the college game. Um, they have the ability to, you know, destroy you, put up video game numbers, man-to-man coverage. But teams, especially when he went to the SEC, teams started, you know, dropping eight, you know, you know, rushing three, dropping eight, and that kind of messes up the whole offense. And that kind of reminds me of kind of like something similar with the Cowboys. You know, teams would sit back, you know, play the zone coverage, not not blitz like you said. And just interesting to see that you would think just from outside, maybe if you're not being blitz, you have more time to, you know, read the defense, maybe find an open receiver, all of that. But Dak's definitely like really, really good facing blitzes. And I think he was like the number one rated quarterback on pro football focus when being blitzed. And but just crazy how that, you know, Fangio, that one game kind of stopped all the momentum on the offensive side of the ball. And the Cowboys were really never able to recover. And I don't know, I think you made some good points of what they need to do offensively to get out of that funk and, maybe get get rolling again because I think we kind of going back to the point of them in the fourth quarter we know what this office can do when they're clicking when they're being aggressive when they know the game's on the line um everything like that like it looked like I still think if C.D. Lamb catches that ball right after two minute warning they probably go down and score I think you know him back in sack C.D. Lamb dropping the pass kind of halted all the momentum but um they have the pieces they have the weapons have the quarterback it's just they need to put everything together and it was really interesting to see or listen to your perspective on that offense. I want to go back and watch a lot more of it. You know, this is one of those things that in the moment, you know, I went back and watched one game, but you know, go back and watch the last eight Cowboy games. You know, what right. was it really? Can you pick up on some stuff? And it's just, this is the type of stuff that you can't do until March, but oh. it, it's stuff that we will be worth answering. You guys can do it because you don't have to watch all <laughs> these games and, and talk about them. But for me, it's, that's an off season project, but it's just, you start tacking away and, filing away it's like all right what do i want to watch when the season ends it's like all right what really went wrong with the cowboys offense Just put it on the list and you know, we'll get to it when the snow starts to melt i started doing that at the end of the season and it it all just came back to like teams were playing kind of how the 49ers did and it was bad it, the bad thing was is it was teams that shouldn't have been able to stop your run were stopping your run with four or five guys and i just feel like if they can do that and drop six seven sometimes even like you said cole eight guys in the coverage with three man you know lines it's just you can't do but so much. And then, you know, when you do do something good, you get a penalty or you get a drop. And it's just like, that was the, that was the, that was the Cowboy season right there. Yeah. The theme of the season was, yep. The theme of the season was you do something good and then you pull your shotgun out and shoot yourself in the foot with a holding penalty or they just, they couldn't get out of their own way. And that was a lot of the issue too, is it was like, you'd get on a roll, you know, you kind of got some momentum coming out of halftime and then you have two false start penalties to start halftime. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, how does that happen? Well, it's fine. You can get into second and 15 when you're playing against a defensive line and it's eating your lunch the entire day. So yeah. it's all right. Robert, really appreciate it, man. I mean, again, yeah. there's not a whole lot of people I enjoy listening to about the game of football, but um, I got the podcast on pretty much every day. I don't know what I'm going to listen to tomorrow because you said you didn't record one today. So I don't know what I'm going to do with my time tomorrow. Well, we got we got a draft podcast tomorrow. We got Dane Brugler and Lance Erlein are bringing their draft podcast to our feed every Wednesday from now all the way and through until the draft. So I highly encourage people to go check that out. (laughs) For sure, yeah.
Yeah, Dan, Dan's definitely tapped in in the Dallas media market. He does the draft show with a lot of the guys. So yeah, we had to share him last year during our live draft <laughs> show. So yeah, please, uh, if you guys like anyone who likes the show, I mean, it, we are very excited about it. You know, it's it's been fun to kind of watch the show grow, and you know, now that we do it five days a week, we feel like we can kind of fold some new shows into you know what right. is a larger offering, and you know, that's something we'll continue to do. You know, it's something that we'll do all the way through the draft and. You know, that last year we did three shows a week during draft season. This year we'll do four because Dane will be there with an extra one. So, you know, that's just that's our plan. And we're very excited to have it as part of everything that we do on the athletic football show. Just I mean, I know if obviously give everybody know where they can find the show, find you, find your work and all that. I know you're, I introduced you as Robert Mays from the athletic, but where then they find you on Twitter and how do they find the show on podcast? Just the athletic football show, correct? That's it. Athletic football show, wherever you get your podcast, we have an episode five days a week. Uh, this time of year, it's six days a week and we're, we're doing them pretty much every single day. So they'll always be on the lookout for a new one. Um, I write sometimes uh, on the athletic, not very much anymore. Uh, it's a different sort of world, but uh, every so often uh, I'll, I'll dip back into that. So hopefully during the playoffs, I'll do a little bit of writing, but for now it's mostly podcasting and you can find it Spotify, YouTube, or Spotify, Apple, you know, Stitcher, wherever you get them. So I encourage people to check it out. We uh, have a good time doing it. Robert, thanks, man. Maybe we'll have you back on when draft stuff gets rolling and uh, figure out who we're going to put on this offensive line to get back to the fun Cowboys football. (laughs) We didn't mention Connor Williams' name one time. You guys did a good job. Uh, I was going to get into a free agent talk, but we don't have two hours. So the whole team's going to be a free agent. This we'll have time. We'll have plenty yeah. of time. Yeah. Well, thanks, Robert. We'll, uh, right, we'll catch up with you later, man. Thank you. Sounds good. See ya. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.